eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to the PowerCat Podcast, gopowercat.com's Kansas State Athletics Show. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, from the GPC studios, here's your host, Go Power Cat publisher, Tim Fitzgerald. Welcome to another edition of the Power Cat Questions podcast, brought to you by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. Tim Fitzgerald, Zach Carlson, Cole Carmody, Ryan Gilbert, right here in the GPC studios following Chris Kleiman's first official press conference of the year up at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. I don't know how much we learned, but it was good to be in person, even if it was masked, to have a press conference. No Zoom for me. No Zoom, which was good. I appreciated the fact that we did this in person. We may not for long, but we'll see how it goes. And we have another opportunity. Was it tomorrow already on Wednesday? Lots the rest of the week, too. Yeah. So there we go. We're going to be busy. Busy talking to players and coaches, but today was just Chris Kleiman. Our segment sponsors are Tanners and the High Low. Make sure you're stopping in to the fridge, Tanners and High Low, whenever you visit Manhattan. We appreciate their ongoing support. Let's dig right in. Who's got the questions, by the way? Nobody. That's a really good question. You don't even know yourselves. How am I supposed to know if you don't know? First question of the podcast is who's reading the questions? Hmm. Zach, I'm going to let you choose today. Let Cole. Cole Carmody with your questions from Mom Bad Station. Here we go. First question from El Camino Cat. How many TV viewers do you anticipate tuning in to FS1 for K-State versus Stanford at 9 a.m. on the West Coast? Is this game a good barometer for the potential media interest in the Big 12, Pac-12 scheduling alliance? That's a pretty good question. Uh, probably 12 million. I might be optimistic. It will be, and I think it's important here to – start really paying attention to the numbers. The numbers aren't that bad. I mean, if you look at Pac-12 numbers compared to what the rest of the conference out of OU and Texas gets, they're very comparable. So having a Pac-12, Big 12 matchup will be kind of interesting. Look, let's be honest here. I mean, if you're a football fan on the West Coast, you're used to watching 9 a.m. games. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can wake up early and watch college game day and be done with it. Fairly early for the most part, other than your Pac-12 after dark that lasts four and a half hours every time. I don't know. I, it's a great question, and it is something for us to follow up on on down the road when those numbers finally come out. But um, it's important to start drawing some 
some viewers, uh, but I think more important for Kansas State is for fans to be there and to show during the broadcast that so many fans made it down to Dallas for the game. If you had to break it up between region, I'd still only say like 100,000 probably for West Coast. Oh, what? I don't. Stanford fans aren't going to watch. They don't. Yeah. My problem with associating with the Pac-12, um, and I talk about cultural fits. I think there are some cultural problems, but they don't have the passion for their college athletics that teams, fans in this region do. It is a different culture. You can argue that there's more to do out there, but I just think they, they're they less invested in their universities than you are in this area. And maybe that's not true for all the schools, and it's a generalization, but I can tell you this. Nobody around Stanford gave a crap that there was a football game with Kansas State back in 2017. 16. 16. Well, they didn't care in 17 either because there wasn't a game. <laughs> um, it It's just a different world. They're, they're more selective about their sports. I mean, there might be golf fans at Stanford because they're so good. I don't know. But they sure aren't that invested in football. Well, the students were on, weren't on campus. Well, I understand that. But if the students aren't on campus in Manhattan, as many as possible still go to the game. So I, I don't buy this. Uh, that's my problem with the Pac-12 is it's, they're just not – they don't have that college atmosphere in a lot of their – they're sporting events. It's just a different world. And and Utah has actually brought a breath of fresh air to the conference because they are more of a traditional university. I've had someone that has gone to Utah games say that they are by far the most Big 12 feeling of the institutions in the Pac-12. Well, that's kind of what I was going to say. I mean, you look at a 9 a.m. game. I know a lot of fans in the Big 12, if there was 9 a.m. football in the Big 12, fans would watch it. I mean, that'd be great for the Big 12 fans to wake up in the morning and, and, and watch football. I know if K-State played, if the roles were reversed and K-State was playing at 9 a.m., would fans complain? Yes. But would they still watch? Yes. I don't think Stanford fans are going to watch the game. And just because, you know, you, you hit the nail on the head, not as big of a following. But I still do think that there will be some people on the West Coast that tune in. You know, you think of the Washingtons of the world. You think of the Utahs of the world, the Colorados of the world. Hey, there's a team in our conference playing in the morning. But we have nothing else going on. We might as well watch the game. I think there's going to be some of that that happens. I'm kind of surprised that after K-State played at Marshall at 9 a.m. Central, I think it was 9 a.m. Central, whatever time it was, that there were no, never really any games after that where they were that early. And I don't remember the circumstances that put it that early, but I think it was a good showing saying, hey, we can play football this early. And it was it was fine. And K-State won, right? They won that one yeah. by like two. Yeah, it was yeah. a good game, but they won. That was the game in which K-State's uh, headsets went out, and Marshall kept using theirs. Ooh. So there's great photos of, like, Michael Smith on a cell phone calling up to the <laughs> press box to get calls. You know, and there isn't a rule about you have to stop. It's just a gentleman's agreement. You haven't seen K-State schedule Marshall on anything since then. True. Why would you, though? Um, Any, anyway, it's just beautiful. Just another trip to West Virginia you don't need. Yeah, it's uh, it was it was a cultural experience. I'll say that. I'm sure. Much think, more than going to Morgantown, even. Hmm. hmm. It was a little more uh, mm, rural in its setting. Let's put it that way. Okay. I think going back to the to the question though a little bit is 
regardless of time, I think a K-State Stanford game, more people would watch it on the East Coast than the West Coast any time of day. It doesn't matter if it's prime time, you know, whatever the best viewing time for Stanford or anyone on the West Coast is, I still think there's going to be more viewership on the East Coast. And maybe that's just me playing the statistics, but I think that more people care about random football games in general on the East Coast versus people that follow Pac-12 football. I'd agree. Next question comes from Schultum43. What's the tougher matchup, Stanford or Nevada? I think you can reasonably argue Nevada is a better team, but the game being in Manhattan helps. I think that's a perfect point. I, I actually think Nevada is a better team. But it's in Manhattan, and that'll be a big advantage. So I think at the end of the day, being a neutral site versus home game, it all kind of washes out. They're both potential losses. There's no doubt about it. you got to go take care of this business. You can't mess around with either one of them. You need all three of those non-conference wins. But honestly, on paper, I'm more threatened by Nevada, but I, I like the fact that it's in Manhattan, and it'll be week three. See, I actually am on the other side of this. I think um – I'm I'm more worried about Nevada. If if I'm a K State fan, I'm more worried about Nevada. If I'm a K State coach, I'm more more worried about Nevada because you know the energy is going to be there for Stanford. You just know it is going on the road. It's going to feel it's going to feel like a bowl game to start the season, and there's going to be more added focus, I think, and preparation on the Stanford game because I think the players know how important this is, and the coaches definitely know how important it is. So they're going to be fully prepared for this game. And then you come back and you play an FCS school in Southern Illinois who's not terrible, but you should win that game. Then when they play Nevada, that's when things get tricky for me because how many times have we seen a group of five school come in to a K-State, to a KU, to even a Michigan and, and win because they are just kind of overlooking them. And I think that's another thing that needs to be brought up too is it's the last non-conference game. I mean, they're going to be looking ahead towards Big 12 play. I just – the Nevada game worries me because of all of that, but also because they are a better team than Stanford. So I think sometimes you can kind of sleepwalk through games as a player, and the Nevada game just seems like that 100% to me. I think the Stanford game is still the tougher matchup, but also because of the results of what that matchup could mean going into the Nevada game. I think you lose to Stanford, you better hold on to your shorts for the Nevada game. So I think, you know, they might be equal or maybe Nevada may be even better as far as a team goes, but going on the road, so to speak, it's a neutral site, but you're, you're not playing at home against a quality opponent in Stanford. I still think that's the tougher one and it comes first. So that's why I think it's it's probably the harder matchup. Back to what you were saying, Cole, not to play devil's advocate here, but you could also take the opposite stance of that and say, hey, you know, the coaching staff is going to let their players know that this Nevada game coming up later in the season is a legitimate opponent. So then maybe you focus on Nevada a little bit more than, say, Stanford. You know what I mean? So I, I'm not saying I disagree, but I don't know. I think those can both go hand in hand. I don't think K-State's going to look ahead of Stanford, and I don't think the vice versa is going to happen either. I think. Yeah, the, I think looking, at, looking at, I think looking yeah. ahead to Nevada, I don't think there's any question that that's happening. I don't think it's happening. They're looking at Stanford, and you have Southern Illinois. You don't want to overlook Southern Illinois too, yeah. and take a loss to an FCS team. So I think name brand in this situation is important to remember too, because. Stanford is a is a name brand. People know Stanford. There is good talent on Stanford. Surely there's good talent on Nevada too. But 
I mean, you look at Nevada, you could replace them with any, you could replace them with Coastal Carolina and take out what Coastal Carolina did last year. I mean, traditionally Nevada has been solid. Yes. But I mean, they're just another, it's another group of five school that, you know, could they come in and win? Sure. But I think the players kind of look at it as, okay, you know, we should win this game. When they look at it, they say, we should win this game. When you look at Stanford, they say, yeah, we should win this game, but you know, it's, we know it's going to be a good game. I mean, Pac-12, it's a Pac-12 opponent. It's another Power 5 opponent. I think the opportunity for a letdown exists, especially if you go 2-0, and especially if you go 2-0 and to start the season. The opportunity of a letdown is going to be there. And you mentioned it. If you lose to Stanford, then it's a whole other story. But I do think the opportunity for a letdown is there. My answer is going to be Stanford because of what happened last year with Arkansas State. Coach Kleiman and even with North Dakota State when they beat K-State here in Manhattan, he's going to have his guys ready for the non-Power 5 game. Yeah. Okay. Next question comes from ContraCat. Over, under, driven by 2019 full stats, he says. Um, and I don't know if you want to go through go this one by one. by one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the average 350 yards per game of total offense over, under. So for the whole season, will K-State average Correct. over or under 350 yards? Oh, I hate these. Yeah. I really hate these. I'll go over. I think they're going to be more diverse in their weapons, but I am still worried about the receiver's involvement in the passing game. I think, yeah, I'll go over. They need to pick it up. And I feel like 350 yards is such a low mark for an offense. If you want to be a good offense, you have to be yeah. over 350 yards. So, yeah, I'll go over. I'll go under. And honestly, it's not really a knock on the offense, but maybe a compliment to the defense that the offense won't be on the field as much. I guess that didn't make any sense. Well, it? that's the other way. <laughs> you know what I meant to say. Dang it. <laughs> ah, Gills, come on. Well, it, it yeah, I mean, potentially if the defense is good, it means your offense We'll have less yardage because they'll yeah. have shorter fields. So thank you. We'll see. That's what I meant to say. That sounds good. Sounds. Good. I agree. <laughs> Average 180 yards per game of rushing. Over. That's where I think they're gonna. They'll be around 200 in that. I think so too, just because of how they're gonna use the quarterback running the football too this year. I mean, with Skyler Thompson being fully healthy, who's been a pretty solid runner in the past, and now with everything we've heard about Will Howard, they're gonna run the quarterback a lot. And they're going to have faith that they can run Skylar Thompson because they have a capable backup in Will Howard. So, yeah, you add in the the running quarterback. I think there's going to be a lot of quarterback rushing yards, and you add that on to Deuce Vaughn, who we know is going to get a lot of carries. I'm going to go over as well. I know you didn't mean it like this, but it sounds like you want them to sacrifice Skylar Thompson. <laughs> if you have confidence in your backup quarterback. Hey, Skyler, you're going to go run. You remember Colin Klein 10 years ago? That's you. And we have somebody better behind. Not necessarily better. Better than what Colin Klein's backup would have been at the time. And then at the postseason awards. And the Jesse Jert Dirt's Memorial Award <laughs> goes to. Oh, but he's not dead yet. Well, si, we kind of killed him. Kind of <laughs> killed him. This one is tough, though, because Deuce Vaughn's obviously going to get a lot of yardage. But how much of that's going to be through the air? You know what I mean? True. So that leads us into the next one, Cole. Yeah, I, I'll go. I had an answer, but I'll go. I'll go under. I don't think they'll hit 180 average. I'll a go game. under as well. Average 199 yards per game of passing. I'll go under on that. I think they're going to be more of a running team this year. I guess it just depends on how good you think Skylar Thompson's going to be, right? I mean, if he's going to run the ball a lot, then you would think that maybe the yardage of yards through the air would be under. But 
that's maybe not necessarily the case if you think he's going to have a really good year and you think the wide receivers are going to step up. I'm going to say under as well just because we haven't really seen Skylar Thompson consistently throw over 200 yards a game. So for that reason, I will say under. I'm also going to take the under, but knowing that I took the under last time and the over on total offense, that's a very small margin of error for me to do. But I think they'll be both under both of those, yet they'll still hit over 350 yards. I like the over. I mean, 200 passing yards in a game. You're threading a hell of a needle over there, aren't you? Yeah, <laughs> threading over, though. I mean, 200 yards a game. I mean, like I said with Deuce Vaughn, he's going to catch some balls. And if, if the rushing game wants to be good, the passing game needs to be good, too. You know, it can't be all on Deuce's shoulders. It can't be on Skyler's shoulders. It's going to have to be a team, you know, a team effort. So I'll go over with passing. I just think with the over, who – how are we – how are you – oh, Mike, why does this always happen? <laughs> Thank you. I'm getting a call from Rensselaer, Indiana. Do do you not have mute on that fancy phone of yours? I don't think it exists, does it? Uh, never mind. Um, where were we? Kids and their technology. I'm not a kid anymore, so you can okay. look at Cole all day for that one. I'm uh, a big kid now. Average of 399 yards per game allowed on defense. Oh man! See, that just sums it up. You're talking about. Will they outgain their opponents over the course of the season? No. That's a problem yeah. right there. Uh, I th- I'm going to go under. I'm, I, I think they're going to be – if I'm really believing they're going to be good this year, I'm thinking they're going to be looking at 400 yards of offense and 370, 380 of de- on defense. I agree with you. I'm, I'm going to take the under because I think the defense is going to be better than the offense. But I don't think the offense is going to be bad. Does that make sense? So take the I'm going to take the under. I feel like they're going to have one game that is going to be such an outlier. You know, like play Oklahoma and let's say they throw 600 yards and it's just a giant blowout where it just skews the average so much to where it puts it over. But but how many yards are they going to give up to Southern Illinois? That's also that true. Also it's that. also true. I'll go under. I'll go, go under. 100. It'll help you out the rest of the year. Yeah. I like under as well. 15 and a half passing touchdowns this year. Not necessarily for Skylar Thompson, just right. as a whole. Under. Just to be clear, uh, we're not counting touchdowns to Deuce Vaughn as a half, right? That's he, he gets a full touchdown. Well, considering it's passing touchdowns, when we saw him throw, I don't think he's going to be throwing for any touchdowns. He's got a noodle arm. That's 15 and a half. I'll say under. I, I think they're going to run the ball a yeah. lot. See, I'm going to take the over because I think they're going to do a lot of short yardage situations because they don't necessarily have that goal line tailback right now. Like we saw them have Harry Trotter who just got a bunch of easy touchdowns or they don't have the Winston Dimmels of the world where they can just hand the ball off and he's going to fall in the end zone. I think we're going to see packages where we have Will Howard at the goal line and we see some Blake Bell, we see some Tim Tebow jump passes. I think we're going to get some of that. I really do. No. They're I going really to, do. It's going to be one-yard Skylar Thompson non-highlight touchdowns where he just falls into the end zone. That's going to be most of the – well, I'm not going to say most of their touchdowns. It's going to be a lot of their red zone touchdowns is just powered in. And it, if it takes three downs to get it in, they'll get it in. So but I, like, I'm taking the under, but – all they have to do to beat this is get two touchdowns in four games. 
and then one touchdown in the others. Mm-hmm. Very That's possible. it. So it's it's possible, but with what the wide receivers have been, it's kind of kind of worrying. It is worrying, but I'll go over because the wide not blah, 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 blah. the tight ends are going to step up. Huh. They'll, they'll lead us to the over. Fitz, did you give your answer? Yeah, I said under. Under. I think they're going to run the ball a lot. Okay, well, 14 and a half different 14 and a half different players scoring rushing or receiving touchdowns God. this season. What? Uh, Way under. Under. <laughs> hey, this is what So that happened. In I think 2019 was 14, I think. I think he That's probably I was looking at some of the stats. Touchdowns, right? Yeah. Oh wait, no. Teams? This is just offensive touchdowns. Offensive touchdowns. Offensive touchdowns, rushing, receiving. Find it hard to believe they'd be that high. Yeah, way under. Because, you yeah. know, if we if we just – I'm going off the top of my head. I think Skylar Thompson. I think Deuce Vaughn. Right. You would think probably Daniel and Will Marvin Howard. And Will Howard. Sammy Wheeler. You'd have to yeah. see. Knowles, Brooks. What's I, that, seven? I don't know. I mean, Taylor, Irvin. Like, I guess you can get that number to creep up there. You can get up there pretty easily, I think. But I'm still going to go under. I think it's under. Yeah. I'm I'm with you. Uh, five point five thrown interceptions this season. Skylar Thompson threw five interceptions in 2019, mm. which seemed actually low to me. Yeah, I don't know why it seemed. That's, that's a tough one. Yeah, over. I think that's pretty easy. No offense to Skylar, but that's one interception every two games. Yeah, I mean, come on. I think. Yeah, I'd over. go over there. I think it's dependent upon how much they throw the ball, though, because if we think they're going to run the ball a lot, then you could say the under. True. If they throw the ball more, he's going mean, to throw a lot more sure, interceptions. But I feel like five is just really low. I know. I'm going to go with the over. But yeah. but again, though, if they're on offense a lot, throwing that many interceptions is not necessarily a bad thing because that just means you have more possessions. So I'll, I'm going to take the over, too. But, I mean, there could be ways where the six interceptions is not a – or, you know, over five and a half interceptions is not necessarily a bad thing for the offense. Um, two and a half special teams touchdowns this year. I'll go over. Hmm. They'll have at least one punt or kickoff return, at least one interception or fumble return, and I'm special confident. Teams. I'm com- well. I guess. Yeah. Not not uh, not a non offensive. Hey, I'll still go, take the over though. I'm gonna go under. I'm gonna go under. They had four last year that were not offensive, right? I'm not. Well, certain. this is just special teams. Uh, I'm gonna take the over. I'll take the well, over. Well, seven. We're scored by Philip Brooks in the first half against Kansas. <laughs> I, I'm going to bet that the new coaching staff doesn't let that happen. I agree with that. I mean, that's, that last year, everything we thought about the return game was a little bit skewed because of what happened against Kansas. Yep. I mean, overall, it wasn't great for the season. It was just totally devastating in one half of one game. I'm going to stick under. I, I think they'll yeah. get a couple, but... Three special yeah. teams touchdowns in the year is a lot. Well, uh, here's where I'm at. I understand that the returning the returners play a huge part in the return game, but it's about the unit as much as as much as it is about anything else. That's why Malik Knowles and Joshua Youngblood took kickoffs back for touchdowns in 2019. So I'm going to take the over on this because I think uh, they're going to get at least one punt and they're going to get at least two kickoff returns because I think the special teams unit. Um, I think they're just yeah. pretty solid. I think they're just too talented. They're too athletic to not get more than two. Okay. I think they can break some loose, get down to the 20, 10 yard line, get pushed out of bounds. No touchdowns though. 
No. Or, oh, You're going zero? One or two. One or two. Okay. Or two. <laughs> Whew, hot take. Uh, <laughs> 11 and a half interceptions this season, defensive interceptions. I can't believe that they had 11 in 2019. <laughs> yeah, I'm taking the under. That's insane. Yeah. yeah, I'm going under. I don't think they'll get that many. No. Under? Yes. yes, yes, yes. 23 and a half defensive sacks. They had 23 sacks in 2019? Uh, apparently, that is the case. It seems high. Did we fact check Contra Cat stats? I checked no. a couple of them. We I did our, check a couple of them. We trust our people. They would never lie to us. Well, I needed to double check the interceptions because there was often thrown and defensive, so I needed to make sure those numbers were right. Because I was like, 11 and 5? 23 sacks seems higher than 11 and a half interceptions to me. Yeah, they did. Uh, 23 they did have a lot 11. of sacks, though. Remember, they play KU every year. I I'm gonna go over. Who's gonna get the sacks? Well, Nate Matlock's gonna have 23 of them, <laughs> and then someone will have to just get a half. Chris Kleiman was sure high on him during the press How conference. About that? Finally, that was a big one. Uh huh. Yeah, I'll go to a game. I can't explain why I'm going over, but I'm gonna go over. I think two games realistic. Yeah, take the over. I think they're going to be in late game situations. They're going to be so fresh along the front because they've rotated constantly that they're going to get late game sacks. You know, here I am talking, saying how good the defense is going to be, but I picked the under on every single prop bet we've had. So I know I just talked crap on it, but I'm going to take the over. Hmm. Okay. Uh, 14 and a half non quarterback rushing touchdowns this season. Over. Hmm. Uh, under. Under. Quarterback sneaks? Yeah. Under. Yeah, you just shot down your own. Hang on. <laughs> Hang on. That's just one. Yeah, it's one a game plus three that have two. So you think Deuce Vaughn can score a rushing touchdown pretty much every single game? Yeah, or somebody. Absolutely. They're going to get a minimum of one, right? Wouldn't no. you wouldn't you count wouldn't you count on a minimum of one rushing touchdown a game? No, because they're going to win a game 17 to 13 against TCU like they do every single year. And one of those is going to be a pick six and the other is going to be a Skylar Thompson quarterback run. I'm st- uh, nah, I think I think they'll get 15 or more. Well, I like the under. Under? I think if you take these bets to the bank, you will be mostly right. I think if you take the bets to the bank, the bank will not accept them because they're not a casino. <laughs> take them to Iowa. Excuse me, what are you doing here? I'm here to take my bets to the bank. This is not a gambling cas- facility, Cole. <laughs> uh, I like Pickles Cat asked the last question of the first half. This is going to be a fun one. Try to predict the number of conference wins for each team and... Try to make it come out to exactly 45 wins. Oh, come on. How are we going to do? It's okay. We're going to get your pencil and paper out. This was fun. It's okay. Golly. Come on, Boomer. Golly. <laughs> and now Daphne is scared. Because I made a noise. It's okay, Daph. It's okay, Daph. Well, okay, let's go. Gills, you're the one who said this is fun. KU. It's very fun. KU, zero. Yes. Hmm. Really? I like one. We got to save some wins for the other places, though. I feel fine giving KU zero. How are we going? Are we going to overrule every? Somebody's just going to bring up a number, and then we're going to say veto. Yeah. OU eight. You think they're going to lose only? You think they're going to lose one game? We're just we're talking averages here. Sure. Okay. Did you do this already? I've already done. Oh, this. that's oh, what great. you're looking for. Never mind. Here ah. we go. So what we got? KU at O. 
Zero? I, I, when did yeah. you make this? I'll put them at zero. When we had to predict uh, records. Oh, so we did do a I, similar thing. I yeah. actually went through every game and picked winners and losers. I, you just don't predict records. You got to figure out how they get to that record. Mm-hmm. Okay, so in OU, I had nine. Oh, no. Hmm. They're going to lose somewhere. Not not according to Fitz. He okay. has his 12 and 0 <laughs> end of the year. Okay. Okay, and that guy is, is established. So KU zero. He's definitely got to be zero. He, he's got the. the the check mark on Twitter. Not the blue one, just one he made up. <laughs> okay, okay, who else we got here? Who else is the Kansas guy? zero. KU zero. OU nine. OU nine. Right. Uh, Texas six. six. Five. Five. Six is what I have. Okay. I feel like we've turned this question into guessing what's on Fitz's notebook. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Iowa, State. Iowa State seven. Eight. You went six. eight. You went six. Six. Oh, really? wow. Wow. And they're going to have a little oh. letdown this year. Is K-State one of those wins? K-State six? No, K-State is not one of those wins. Seven. Are we what'd doing you, K-State now? Yeah, what did you put K-State? Six? Five. Okay, five. Five. So you had no K-State sense. beating Iowa State. So we got a lot of fives for West Virginia, I think Texas for the most Tech, part, and TCU, the, and whoever, Baylor. The conference is only going to lose a few non-conference games. I feel like they're in good shape with almost every game. So I've got K State five and four in the conference and eight and four overall. That's how I got there. What teams do you have besides Kansas losing non con? Um I can't tell you who it is off of my notes here. Baylor's losing one. I got KU winning two. So that means only losing one. Losing to Coastal Carolina. They're gonna win at Coastal. I'm telling you. So right they're now. gonna have a win over a ranked opponent. Coastal yep. Carolina number twenty four in the country. They're not. They they're Again, that's rankings off of last year. Everything, it was a charm season for the, uh, what's, what's their mascot? Chanteliers? Chanteliers. Is I was right? going to call them the charlatans. <laughs> that's KU. Um, see, OU was perfect. I've got Oklahoma State losing one. Who they play? They've got someone pretty good on the non-con. I can't remember. BYU, is it BYU? No, that's Baylor, right? They Boise Tol- State? They play Tulsa? They do play Boise State, yep. Um, Boise State. Yeah, and it's up there, isn't it? Yeah, I yeah, think it might be. I believe oh, well. so. Like I said, I didn't write down who. I got Texas losing a non-con. I got Tech losing a non. No, I got Tech running it, and I can't read my writing. And I've got West Virginia losing a non-con. They play Maryland and Virginia Tech. I want to say that sounds right. I think it's Virginia Tech. Okay, who else we got here? I'll go to the notes here. The, the, the little tallies. Oh, uh, I just saw it. Yeah, got a Texas Tech in my mind. three. What? No, Texas, Texas Tech two. two. I got them at two. West Virginia five, six. Mm-hmm. Baylor one. Baylor two. Baylor. I got Baylor three. three. Really? Mm-hmm. West Virginia. Oh wait, we already did that. Five. Uh, TCU five. Four. 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 Ooh. Fitz hates TCU. Receiving. So we just went zero, two, three, four, five, six. Seven, nine. You know what? Let's make sure it adds up here. Uh, so there's nine, there's uh, 14, there's 23, 32, dun, 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 38, 45. Bum, ba, da, Congrats. Fitzkin math. I'm math. Yeah, okay. So I've got, um, let me just go from top to bottom. Oklahoma, I've got 9-0 and 0 in the conference. Second place, I have a 
tie between Iowa State and Texas at six and three. I've got K State, Oklahoma State at five and four. In the bottom half of the conference, I've got TCU at four and five. Oh, excuse me, West Virginia's at five and four also. So that's six teams above water. TCU four and five, Baylor three and six, Tech two and seven, Kansas over. I think Oklahoma State's underrated there. I think six and three is fair for them. Hmm. Losing a lot of uh, weapons. They lost the two pieces I was most scared of on offense. Mm-hmm. And they lost Gundy's mullet. That is the most It'll important. be back by the end of the season. Calm down. Man. He shaped it. He teed it up so it, so it could be good to go by December. You know what was bad about me not coming to the second day of media day? Is last time I went to media day, I got to use the restroom right next to my Gundy. <laughs> So I'm peeing next to him, and I'm staring at his mullet. You shouldn't be eyeing anything next to you. <laughs> Man, I tell you, you what, I was, I was like, did you myself, even go? Don't were you nervous? Don't. No, oh, that's fine. No, back then. No, I. Not going isn't the problem. <laughs> um, I was like, don't touch the mullet. Don't touch the mullet. Don't. I mean, I was like, I wanted to touch the mullet. You wanted to reach over and grab it. The mullet. Yes. <laughs> yes, I did. I did. The mullet on his head. Yeah, yes. I don't know I don't know how anything else was groomed. But the mullet on his head in person is lovely. Has a little curl to it. It looked really soft. I wanted to touch it. Did you smell it? Oh my god, I could have bitten the hell out of that thing. Just leave it over. Just wanted to put your face all up in it. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I think that would have probably caused a little ruckus. This man touched me in the bathroom. Well, it's fits. He touched my mullet. Ooh, that's weird. Okay, next. That was it. Yeah. That's it for the first half of the Powercat Questions podcast. I'm sorry uh, we talked about uh, Mike Gundy's body parts. Uh, we won't do that in the second half, but we'll be right back. GoPowerCat.com's Powercat podcast continues after this short break. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Welcome back to the Power Cat Podcast. Now, let's return to the GPC Studios. Welcome back to the Power Cat Podcast, sponsored by Fridge Wholesale Liquor. I forgot to put my headphones on, guys. I got hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Oh, I sound better now. Can you hear us now? Oh, yeah. Oh, our segment sponsors are Tanner's and the High Low. And here we go. Back to Cole. 
First question in the second half comes from El Camino Cat. With all of this season's true freshmen, that is not what the question asks, from El Camino Cat, <laughs> will all of this season's true freshman redshirt? If you had to pick one to make an immediate splash and play more than four games, who would it be? Well, based on what we're hearing at wide receiver, yeah. it wouldn't surprise me if R.J. Garcia was the one that right. played. Right. Yeah. I think it's going to be receiver. They just got to have more explosive playmakers out there. They, uh, The guys that they have, they say Phillip Brooks has made a lot of progress, but he's a, a little slot guy. You know, you're not going to run him deep and across the middle. I mean, you look back at Tyler Lockett, he was little, but he was strong. You can get off people. Phillips doesn't, Phillip doesn't quite have that. So they're going to need another sizable, fast receiver to put out there. Particularly if Sebastian Taylor isn't going to be the same. And I, He's struggling with that knee, guys. He just really is. And and granted, he didn't have the surgery until December, but, man, he just looks like he's really having issues with it. Well, I will say the last Berkeley prep receiver that came to K-State played his freshman year. That was Josh Youngblood. Um, that worked out good. I don't, I don't know if that means anything. I don't necessarily think it does, but obviously, you know, K-State's had a, a history of – one player of having success at that position, at least on the field when they come in their freshman year. So, yeah, I guess if I, were, I had to pick somebody, I would go with Garcia as well. But I just don't know how physically developed this class is as as a whole and ready to contribute right away. So, you know, it. I think the only way that we see freshmen on the field is if there's injuries. And, um, well, you, you know, got- hopefully for everybody's case, that doesn't happen. You got to consider that this year's a little bit different. You really have to have a need position this season, and I see receiver as that. But not only do you have the first kind of high intensity wave of transfer portal guys. Now, granted, they've had other transfers, but you also have super seniors coming back. Right. Um, so that kind of waters things down. I mean, if Skylar Thompson doesn't come back, Jake Rubley's the answer because he's probably going to be the backup. But, yeah, I think receiver is the only place where, as of now, barring the injuries you mentioned, Cole, that I can see them really having a need. Piggybacking off of that, too, Fitz, you know, Kleiman wanted to play his young guys last year because it was the pandemic. That's not going to be the case this year because right. it's more of a real season. Yeah, I mean, we're going to see guys get in four or fewer games. It's just a matter of will someone exceed that and actually use a year of eligibility. I also think it's important to note he said – Chris Kleiman said today that they were wanting to get 10 offensive linemen involved in the offense. Crazy. Uh, There's some offensive linemen that could get into the top 10 that were in this recruiting class. Good. Not saying that that's going to happen, but if he really wants to get 10 guys consistently playing, you don't have to squint to see an Andrew Langang or or somebody like that getting involved. Yeah, I mean, he mentioned outright eight guys are going to be in the rotation. And he said we might get up to 10 into the rotation. And that's really a Connor Riley thing that doesn't match up with what a lot of offensive line coaches want. They want their five. They want them working together all the time. And they do have the situation when they do have an injury, they're not used to it. And it can throw them out of whack. He likes to rotate them through and, and get them used to playing with a group of guys and kind of make the ballet company have more stars in the show. Because it really is choreography and, and working together on that offensive line, not tripping over each other quite literally in some places. Mm-hmm. You know, I wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of 
wide receivers that have red shirts available play early. Maybe not against Stanford, but those Southern Illinois and Nevada games, I think those are going to be mm-hmm. full-on tryouts to see, hey, can you stick it for the full season? Because if not, we'll just you know let you play a couple more and shut it down. But if you step up in those two games, I mean, that could be where the player emerges for, for wide receiver. Next question comes from ContraCat. Who needs to level up more before we kick it off? Linebackers, defensive ends, defensive tackles, wide receivers, or tight ends? Or what is K-State's weakest link? I I would answer linebackers. I like the two. I like Fletcher and Green. I think they're going to be good. In fact, someone put up stats. Well, their stats look better than Sullivan and Hughes from last year. So I think they're going to be fine. Uh, but... They're going to want more than that. We saw it last year. When those two dudes had to play most of the game, they just can't do it. That's so much wear and tear and running. I think they've got bodies at defensive tackle to rotate. They've got incredible depth at defensive end. It's It's been interesting doing national media. The perception is they won't have anyone like Wyatt Hubert, and I don't accept that. I First of all, I don't think Wyatt was overwhelmingly good. I mean, I he was a seventh-round draft pick. I, I mentioned on another show, to me, that's a sign of where the talents dropped at Kansas State. That's your your number one guy who goes in the seventh round instead of the second or third, which is pretty common for Kansas State. And, you know, the news about Nate Matlack that Chris Kleiman said Tuesday that he's made the biggest breakthrough just only emphasizes how deep that rotation can be when you start listing off all the guys that have played and can play. You go three deep pretty quickly at defensive end. So I, when I when I start really looking at these position groups, it's the depth at linebacker that just always jumps out at me because I like the front guys. But come the fourth quarter, they better be fresh. And that means some other guys had to play. And he's pointing to Nick Allen as someone that's broken through. And we're talking about a kid that is a little bit undersized but um, has always kind of known what to do. But he said he's just really – playing up to speed now and he's faster and stronger and and moving around and and so if his reaction time's way up playing instinctively nick will play quite a bit yeah as much as we talk about the wide receivers needing to step up i do think that you know daniel green cody fletcher those two at linebacker they're good but the depth there there's a lot to be desired and there's going to be somebody that needs to step up and somebody that needs to level up and as yeah, like I said, as much as wide receiver, there's giant question marks there. If one of those two main guys goes down at linebacker, it could be in they could be in for a world of hurt. And I, I you mentioned Nick Allen, and that's somebody who I kind of I, I want to talk about here for a second because he is to me somebody that I think K State fans over overlook, and he was a walk on. So I'm not sitting here you're going to say that Nick Allen is going to be the next, you know, Justin Hughes, but Nick Allen was a very very good high school football player in a in a league in the EKL in Kansas City that has produced some very good college football players and he also played as a redshirt freshman. So yeah, he, he's seen some time, and he's going to be one of the best special teams players that K-State has this year. It, so it, doesn't, it didn't surprise me when Chris Kleiman mentioned him at all. It didn't surprise me. Um, so he's going to be somebody that I think K-State fans need to keep an eye on. But answering this question, I think the receivers, you know, for sure are, are, are the answer to this question because I feel confident with what K-State has at, along the defensive line, just for every reason you said fits. But I feel the same way at tight end. Um, receiver is the position that – 
I think has the biggest question mark next to it just because they didn't they didn't address it in the offseason. They addressed everywhere else. They didn't address receivers. Well, they finally got to get a, get a Juco guy late in the process, but he wasn't around all summer. So how valuable he'll be is a question mark. And the fact that they did that tells me that they finally recognized what a lot of us had seen. You don't have frontline guys. You got guys. I mean, uh, I'm fine with a lot of their receivers being out there some. But honestly, if you're playing some of those guys as starters, you're not very good at receiver. Overall, you're not very good. They're good for 20 snaps a piece. But if you are got them trotted out there for 50 snaps, you're not very good at receiver. And I'm really worried about it. But it, I think they've got enough guys where they're not going to have a, a cruel drop-off in the middle of the game. Linebacker, they might have a drop-off. But is the cruel drop-off necessarily a bad thing? Because that linebacker, if you have two solid guys, you can make it work. At receiver, if you don't have any solid guys, well, you, you, there's there's an argument to be made that just because there's no drop-off, that doesn't mean that it's not necessarily a good thing. Well, I would argue that you can work around your own offensive weaknesses, but the opposing offense will exploit your defensive weaknesses. And I, that's why I'm more concerned about that. Next question from Chris66204. Which of these individuals most needs to step up early or risk being passed over for playing time the rest of the season? Me. Um, oh, what part? Go ahead with the question. <laughs> Running back, Jacardier, right? And wide receivers, Malik Knowles and Sebastian Taylor. Mm, well, I'm, I can't answer Sebastian. We don't know if he's even going to be able to really go until midseason. He's, just, he's still not running full speed. Um. I think it's Jacardier, right? Jacardier's yeah, got it. Yeah. There's nobody, at least when you talk about Malik and even Sebastian, talking about somebody to pass them over. There's nobody to pass them right. over. Exactly. Yeah. There's nobody. It's clearly Jacardier, right? Because he's, he's had two years now. Backs, yeah. He played last year. Now you have Joe Irvin coming back from his his sabbatical. And, you I know, like that. I like the word sabbatical. Yeah. It's a great word. Um, Jacardier, he should have been more present last year, but it took forever for him to get onto the field, and I don't really know what the issue he is. He just but... hasn't grasped the offense, and they're saying now he's getting it. Oh, God, Lord, man, if you, you've you got an All-American level starter, and Joe Irvin, I really liked him as a true freshman. He comes back now with an opportunity to um, have a fresh body because he didn't play last year. So, you're third on the depth chart, young man, and you got nowhere to go but completely out of the rotation at this point because I don't see him surpassing those two. And as a bigger, stronger back, he should be able to fill a role for this offense. And in the limited action we saw him on Saturday, you know, it's not full speed, but he did look pretty good for when he did touch the football. So I'll give him credit for that. I I, I would think, like I said, I think the answer is Jacardier right, but one person that I think can step up and take Jacardier Wright's place, I know this isn't really in the question, but I mean – Chris Kleiman on Tuesday mentioned Clyde Price a little bit. I mean, this was a kid who was an absolute beast in high school, and he was one of the better running backs. I think, at least me personally, when uh, you know you look at all the running backs that K-State brought in in that recruiting class, Price was the one guy I thought, okay, this, this guy can come in and make an impact uh, you know, at some point in his career. But he hasn't been on the field. 
has he has not been on the field. He redshirted his first year, and I think one of maybe played a game or two of special teams last year. But you know, that's a guy who you know, if you're him, you're looking at the depth chart and saying Joe Irvin wasn't here last year. Jacardia Wright has consistently underperformed. That number two running back is completely up for grabs. I think so. Yeah, to to take this full circle, I think the answer is Jacardia Wright, and I don't even know if it's close. Okay, Gills, you got any thoughts? I agree. I think if the question was just about who needs to step up, it's Malik Knowles, hundred percent. But in terms of being passed over, I right. agree. The, the running back Malik's going to get so many opportunities because yeah. he just yeah. he can physically do things other receivers can on this roster, which says a lot about where they're at. Three G Wildcat wants to know who takes the pressure off of Deuce Vaughn to produce on offense. Oh, uh, this guy named Tim Fitzgerald. Yes, I will be carrying the load. Um. Of uh, snacks, I um, I think it's just going to be a collection of people. They just have more weapons. They've got tight ends that they can throw to. I think you heard Kleiman hint at it at Tuesday that they'll be using people in different situations, such as jet sweeps, and you know, trying to get the ball to different people in different spots. Yeah, I mean, and plus having Skyler back, that just. A lot of what went wrong down the, down uh, the stretch for K State was the fact they had a true freshman quarterback who everyone figured out. You know, you got a a game and a half in against Tech and TCU, and put enough on film for people to understand his limitations. And you won't have that at quarterback. So I think the fact that that Skyler will be able to make better decisions from the quarterback spot will just diversify the offense enough. I actually think the answer to this question is the defense. Who takes the pressure off of Deuce Vaughn on offense? It's the defense. If the defense can perform, then Deuce Vaughn can run the football, catch the ball out of the backfield, not have to be forced to make huge plays, and put the other people on offense in a bad situation. So I think if the defense performs, I mean, there's a reason they say defense wins championships. If the defense can perform, it opens up the offense completely. I think it has to be the wide receivers. Malik Knowles needs to step up and take the pressure off because if – K-State's one-dimensional again, where Deuce Vaughn is it. You know, if the wide receivers can't make moves, they can't make catches, and Deuce Vaughn, and even, like, the tight ends, like last year with Bradley Moore, if that's all your offense is, you know, it's they're going to be able to shut him down quickly. So it's going to have to be a much more diverse and broad offense when it comes to weapons. It can't just be Deuce and a matter Bebe. Let's say Bebe. Bebe. Hard name to say. It's Aim BB. Thank you. That, that's a user. That is, exactly. an, that is a member on our... <laughs> exactly. There's more syllables than it's Aim BB. <laughs> I don't know. I think if you have to pick one single individual on the offensive side of the football, it's Skylar Thompson, kind of what you said fits. That, so if it's not the defense for me, it'd be Skylar Thompson. I think we... The receivers can't step up if Skylar doesn't get in the ball. So at the end of the day... That's the guy, right? Yeah. yeah I, I don't disagree that he has to get him the ball, but if Skyler's not playing, somebody's got to get the wide receivers the ball. It's got to be the whole passing game. So the last question of the podcast comes from 3G Wildcat once again. Who steps up at linebacker to shore up the middle of the defense? I don't know. I mean, they're talking Nick Allen. I'm not sure. I mean, I think Munoz was uh, just a depth guy from the start. I mean, he didn't play regular at Utah State. There's some young guys. I mean, they they like. 
I think linebackers are a real concern for me because I feel like it's an area that as the game wears on and they wear out, they're going to get exploited. The closer we get to kickoff on September 4th, the closer I get worried about the linebacker situation. I don't. I just don't quite grasp what they're doing with the third linebacker position that they're talking about. I mean, are they morphing their nickel into more of a linebacker that Wayne Jones is going to come in and play that in more of a running situation? I'm a little confused by it, to be honest. Someone that can cover but still support the run. So we'll find out. I mean, a lot of teams are playing with 210-pound linebackers now. It's pretty common. TCU's done it for years. It's more about not getting off blocks, but beating the blocks to the the point where you want to get to. So um, I'm, in, I'm very concerned about linebacker on that defense side of the ball. I think one thing that could be a possibility as the season goes on is, you know, you mentioned Wayne Jones, but what about Jerron McPherson? I mean, Ryan and I watch the Chiefs every single Sunday, and you watch Tyron Matthew. He plays cornerback, he plays safety, and he plays linebacker. Jerron McPherson has played safety. Jerron McPherson has played cornerback. He's also been very good in run coverage. Yep. I'm not going to sit here and say that Jerron McPherson can be a honey badger like Tyron Matthews for the Chiefs, but I think he can be kind of a Swiss Army knife that they might think about using in, in a linebacker-type situation. Yeah, the, the safety inside the tackles that kind of functions that way could be. I don't know. I think they just need to be better tacklers overall, and um, everyone needs to finish their tackles because they had real issues with that at times last year, and, and that, some of that comes with lack of conditioning and not getting to the spot fast enough. You end up diving instead of completing tackles. Any thoughts, anyone? That's it? Man. So we were, we were totally out of whack this week. Our first first half went over 30, and this one didn't get over 20. <clears throat> oh, no. Wait, wait, wait. I know. Always start strong and finish weak. That's my motto. <laughs> That's it for the podcast. We'll talk to you next week on the Powercat Questions podcast. Football is getting closer and closer. I have no idea what happened to the summer. I mean, I feel like it started the summer and it's mid-August. It's just not fair. I want more summer. Thank you for listening to the Powercat Podcast. Make sure you're subscribing to our show at Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. PowerCat Podcast. All rights reserved. GoPowerCat.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.